Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Before we get started today, I just wanted to give you a heads up on a couple of things you can do right after you listen to Decibel Geek. The first thing I want to tell you about, it's clickteeshop.com. That's clicktees with a K. If you want a Decibel Geek t-shirt, it helps us out a lot. Makes us feel cool when we see people out there wearing them. So become one of the cool people. Get yourself a Decibel Geek t-shirt. That's the exclusive place to get one. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of really cool podcasts that have t-shirts available on clickteeshop.com. And if you're a friend of Chris Sinzak on his Facebook page, you saw last weekend, he was out and about looking like a spaceman in his Eagles Wings classic t-shirt. Ace Fraley inspired. Gotta love that. All kinds of cool stuff. I'm telling you, if you're a fan of the hottest band in the land, you just gotta check out clickteeshop.com because there's all kinds of cool stuff there. Check them out. Of course, check out our Facebook page. Like it. Get in on the conversation. Check us out on Decibel Geek TV. All our quarantine sessions, Rock and Ron's been releasing them on Decibel Geek TV. So if you got somebody that doesn't do podcasts, but they do do YouTube, that's a good way to show them what Decibel Geek is all about. We had so much fun with our guests this week. We really didn't pick a closeout song like we usually do, so I'm going to go ahead and do this. Here's a band. I know they're not signed by Sony or Universal Music, even though they're good enough that they probably should be. I've been talking about it the last couple of weeks. New music from the Super Suckers, an album called Play That Rock and Roll, and we're going to close out the show today with a song called Die Alone. I want you guys to check that out and then get over to Supersuckers.com. Get you a CD like me. I got it in my collection. I love it. This is the Decibel Podcast. Chris Sinzak and Aaron All right, here we are once again. You know we'd never let you down, even in the circumstance we're in. We're here for you because of rock and roll. It's the Decibel Geek Podcast. My name is Aaron Camaro, joined as always by the power of Skype and through the internet. It's my friend Chris Sinzak. What's going on on your end of the line, my man? Good day, sir. How are you? <laughs> Very well. How are you? <laughs> uh, hungover, but I'm, I'm hanging in there. Nice. <laughs> nice. Well, that's the way to do it during the quarantine sessions. Yep, they continue right here on the Decibel Geek Podcast. Chris is at his home. I'm at the original. Well, not the original anymore, but I guess I'm, I'm in Studio A. 
Chris is in Studio C. We've got a special guest who's in a different studio somewhere else, but we'll get to that in a little bit. If you've been following along, you know what the quarantine sessions are all about. It's me and Chris hanging out, good friend, talking rock and roll. And the subject is whatever you want it to be. That's right, because we're taking listener questions and conversation suggestions and all the good stuff that comes along with it, and we're going through as many as we can right here on episode 14 of the quarantine sessions. I know you got to be excited about this, right? It's 15, actually. Is it really? Yeah. Holy man. Yeah, we've been in it so long, I don't even know anymore. <laughs> it's the new normal, right? I guess. The new abnormal, <laughs> I'd say. But yeah. we'll get back to it all eventually, I'm sure. I sure hope. But we'll figure that out as we go. So far, these have been a lot of fun, so I got no problem sticking with it for a while. But you know us? we got to take care of that business before we kick things off. And our business is Apple Podcast Reviews, Podchaser Reviews, Facebook Recommendations. We love them. You can give them to us. And when you do, we're going to read it on the show. You know we will. And I'm going to prove it right here. This one's entitled, Very Entertaining Podcast. It's got all five stars, and it goes a little something like this. The Decibel Geek Podcast is a must-listen for anyone that likes rock music or likes fun. My friend Cal Hintz says it's not a good podcast, but like usual, he's wrong. Highly entertaining, and I don't even like music. That Aaron Camaro has an amazing voice and awesome accent. He must come from a town of intellectuals and above-average intelligence. Go Blue Jays! That's a sweet podcast review from Apple right there. Huh? I like that. I'm, I'm guessing this is someone that you know. This might be my all-time favorite review. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is very cool because our friend, you know, Cal Hintz, we talk about him. He submits questions. I don't think we ever get to his for some reason, but he submits them anyway because he loves us and we love him. I went to school with Cal Hintz in Merrill, Wisconsin. We were Merrill Blue Jays. And he posted on his Facebook about the album Wake Me When It's Over by Faster Pussycat. And my friend Jason Hummerding commented on that about getting the shirt or something like that from Hat City talking about the tent at Riverfest, just like I was talking about last week. So then Cal Hintz says, Aaron Camaro was just talking about Hat City and Riverfest on a recent podcast, talking about a poison shirt and a wasp shirt that he had bought there. And then Doug Fox chimed in, and he remembered that it wasn't a poison shirt. It was just Brett Michaels. <laughs> oh, boy. And that Cal wore it four to five times a week at that time. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, pretty easy to tell I do come from a town of intellectuals and above-average intelligence. What's up with Cal Hintz saying we're not a good podcast? He used to like us. That's just Cal Hintz. You never know about that guy. He's the kind of dude that'll take his money down to the Riverfest tent, peruse all these great metal t-shirts, and walk on out of there with a Brett Michaels. Well, that speaks a lot more about him than <laughs> And speaking of great Brett Michael's story, I know that our guest today actually has one. But uh, If you want to leave us a review, man, we love them. We love them a lot. Go ahead and do it. There's awesome ways to do it. Thanks, everybody that supports the show. You don't even have to have gone to high school with me. Anybody can leave us a review. Yeah, well, you're, you're batting a 1,000 on people from high school leaving you reviews. I don't think anybody from my high school even knows what the hell I'm doing right now. I so, went to school with some uh, cool-ass rock and rollers. I didn't really. 
So uh, we want to thank uh, Ralph Vieira, a.k.a. Dr. Fuck, for being our guest last week. That was a, a good show. Did really good numbers, of course, because Dr. Fuck brings the ratings. And um, <laughs> Geeks of the Week this week are Grayson Gallegos, James McElhenney, Rock and Ron Runyon, Wayne Cross, Chris and Schimbeck, Joseph Capone, Aaron Baker, David Glenn, Kenneth, Jay Shabluski, Paul Smith, Adam Cox, Mikhail Varel, John Phillips, Jeffrey Mendenhall, Simon Cat, D. Stroyer Sr., Eric Jordan, RMCP, Keith Rockford, Paul Korn, Mark Alden-Taylor, Nate Atchison, Scott Crouch, Mike Parnell, Steve, J.J. Mack, Ernesto Aguiar, David Cathy, Aud Eat Eller Anna. And no, my mic didn't no, malfunction. That's the name. <laughs> Daniel Daniel Lee, Joel Hoffman, Hakon Bergstad, Eladio Amber 838X, Chris McGowan, and as always, the, the Mooger Fooger. Yes, thank you to everybody that shared and retweeted last week's episode. So much fun with the doctor, man. He's he's an awesome dude. I love that guy. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. We're going to have a lot of fun today, though, too, as we do every week during the quarantine sessions, because our guests are always top-notch. Chris, why don't you read the questions this week and give me a break? And while you're at it, go ahead and introduce our guest. Happy to do so. Uh, so our guest this week, I can't believe this guy has never been on the show because we've known each other for a long time. And uh, actually, I was listening to him before Decibel Geek even started. He is one half of the classic metal show. I'll just say the better half. Um, but uh, we'll get into that later, too. But uh, he's also a uh, well-established author and shit-stirrer on the Internet. His name is Chris Aiken. How you doing, Chris? I was starting to wonder if I was just cool enough to be friends with you guys, but never appear on the show. Now I feel honored. <laughs> <laughs> I know it, it took way too long for this to happen. Didn't yeah, it? the honor. You know, is you, all you know ours. what? It, it, the way it works is, you know, we're, a lot of times, you know, paths just don't cross. I mean, I think you've been on my show a couple of times, but yeah. I, I, it just never worked out to where our schedules or whatever worked out. And, it's cool to be here, man. I'm. I've made it. I've made the Decibel Geek Pod. <laughs> oh man. Well, you've uh, you've got quite a, a reputation yourself, and yeah, I have called in a couple of times. The first time was to. Um, it was the night of Rock and Pod One. Oh but, yeah, that's right. <laughs> because uh, Neely, thanks to our good buddy and fellow shit stirrer Joshua Toomey. Um, Neely had kind of questioned like why I was even bothering doing Rock and Pod, and What's then the at end the game? end of the end of a the end of a day, Josh goes, "Hey, you're on the phone with Classic Metal Show. Talk to Neely." And uh, I had a, a good time, kind of uh, giving him a little bit of shit. And then uh, I called back a couple of years ago, or about a year, maybe a year ago, with uh, about all the Vinnie Vincent fallout, and kind of gave you guys the scoop on that. Yeah. And, and it's funny that that whole rocket pod thing, it, dude. The the funny thing is, as I remember it, you know, we were talking about it, and, and you, I mean, you know how it goes with with, with podcasts. You want to promote what everybody's doing because none of us have the opportunities or the the advantages of like a regular commercial radio station. We don't have a budget to go out there and throw hundreds of commercials, hundreds of dollars at commercials or whatever. So the way we promote a lot of the things that we do is to, you know, we hear about something somebody else that we're cool with is doing and we we try to promote it. We try to sell it. And, you know, we were I was. I thought I was trying to sell Rock and Pod, you know, to tell people, hey, this is a cool thing. Go out and go out and see it. Go out and do it. Be part of it. And then immediately Neely was like, well, I don't get it. And I was like, dude, what you fucking get? You know, there's, it's not it's not that hard to figure out. It's a bunch of bunch of guys like minded that like music and 
and do exactly what we're doing. And, and well, what's the advantage or how, how, how does that benefit? It? And it's like, dude, shut up. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, the, the phrase that I got tortured with from that whole thing was, what's the end game? Yeah, that was yeah. his thing. So. <laughs> yeah, so Jesus, first of all, you're not writing a Megadeth album. And second of all, you know, you're just out there. The end game was to put everybody together. And, you know, and, and I don't know if this is when it started or not, but it, Chris, you may remember this is we did that. Remember a long time ago, five years, six years ago, we did that um, podcaster summit one night where we yeah. got eight or nine podcasters on on CMS one night. And it was at, right after that, that that you announced Rock and Pod. I, I certainly never thought that it was our idea and you ran with it or anything like that. But I just thought that it, it went off so well that maybe, you know, that was kind of kind of where the genesis was well let's let's make it even bigger let's do it for real let's do it in person let's let's do it with bands yeah to give well i gotta give full credit to bj cramp he was the one who kind of came up with the idea of it but uh but it was we were all talking about the same thing right around that time and i i remember i I was supposed to call into that summit and it was during nam weekend and my brother and i were driving rick fox all the way back to santa clarita where he lives after the nam show and we're driving through the California mountains and I cannot get a signal to call in. So that's why I had to miss it. I mean, it, it, the bottom line to all of it though, is that the, you know, the podcasting community we're we're like the poor stepchild. We're like, we're like public access TV compared to NBC. You know, we have no money, no funds and no help. And the only way we can, we can, any of us can grow is to work with each other is to, you know, to, to try and promote everything, not everything, but, but a lot of what each other is doing. And, you know, we all know that Joe Rogan just signed for a hundred million dollars for his podcast. So clearly, there is interest in podcasting, and a lot of I'm, again not trying to take any credit for anybody's anything, but a lot of the reason Joe Rogan is making that big money is because there's another hundred thousand podcasts out there that people listen to. Podcasting mm -hmm. has become a value, valid, valuable medium for a lot of people. You know, and I know even like just with you guys' podcast, forget mine, you know, with you guys', I'm a music fan. And I like to listen to music fans that really don't don't only, you know, give me a, a sugar boat load of bullshit about their favorite bands. I like I like that you guys crashed on Vinnie Vincent's head. I like the fact <laughs> that you guys will you know, if you don't like something, even if it's a band that you like, that you'll say it. And that's refreshing because you go to I don't know, Sirius XM, the, you know, whatever the, the hair metal channel is or whatever over there. And everything is, you know, dude, this is a great band that everybody loved back in 1986. It's Kick Tracy. And meanwhile, nobody loved Kick Tracy. Nobody remembers the song, but they're kissing their ass because they got a record that's dated the right way. And it's like, stop, give me some real news and give me a, give me it the way real fans talk when we're at the bar. Yeah. And I, I think that's what we all kind of try to do. Yeah, definitely, and and you guys do the same thing. You, how long has Classic Metal Show been going on? <sighs> going into we're like twenty five and a half years. Wow, Jesus Christ! <laughs> <laughs> we're the veterans of this crew. Boy, I, I guess even the podcasting. We started podcasting in two thousand and I. It was either four or five. Because we we started so long ago doing I'm a tech normally you know, like in my in my real life I'm I'm a I own an IT company, and we were doing it so long ago that I literally had to hand code the RSS code every week to make iTunes 
use it. You know, wow. I, there was no there was no push upload and, poof, and it's there and then it's a, across 400 mediums. There was one medium. It was iTunes. And I literally was in there going bracket RSS ID equals this and bracket new bracket source wow. equals bop, 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 bop. You know, I I was coding all of that stuff weekly. It was a major pain in the ass try, learning it. But, you know, wow. it was that I wanted to do, and I've always been that guy that wants to get ahead of the curve with with what we do, you know, which is why now we do like video and all that other crap because that's I want to stay ahead of the curve. But dude, I, I've been with the podcasting thing pretty much since Adam Curry threw it on a computer. So wow, you know, I, wow. It, it's crazy that it's gotten as far as it is, and it's great that it's gotten as far as it is because let's face it, we all, me, you, um. Everybody that that we know in in the podcasting world, we're all friends with each other for one reason and one reason only because we all have that similar that similar interest, which is distributing our ideas and our and our favorite music a different way than is the traditional way. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. That makes a lot of sense. So uh, you so you you've gotten a preview of the questions that we're going to answer today. You got you guys ready to to jump right in. I don't know. I've seen some of them. I don't know if I'm ready. Yeah. So uh, I'm gonna. We're doing a little different this week. I'm gonna be the one asking the questions, and yes. to avoid um, talking over each other on Skype, we'll do it in this order. I will ask the question, then Chris, you're the guest. You you do your answer, then right. Aaron will do Aaron will do his, and then I'll do mine, and then I'll go into the next question. Sounds good. And never fear, I do have questions lined up at the end of the show for Beat the Geek, and Chris is on a four-week winning streak, so we'll see how that goes here today. you got some tough competition, I'm sure. I do. All right, so uh, sorry. All right, so the first questions come from Instagram. First one comes from Andrew Jacobs. It says, today, June 27th, is the 54th anniversary of the very first Frank Zappa album, Freak Out. Are any of you Zappa fans, and if so, what are your top five Zappa albums? I am not. I've I've heard only one Frank Zappa album in my life. I didn't like it. I never went back. So <laughs> I'm my first foray into this is I have to say no and pass pass on because I really don't. Oh man, Zappa. I gotta kind of kind of mirror that because I mean, with me, I remember my uncle Bruce had a big old poster of Frank Zappa sitting on a toilet, and it said Zappa Crappa underneath it, but. <laughs> I just remember the albums that he played. I mean, I'm this a big old poster. <laughs> but the albums that my Uncle Bruce played, and he loved Frank Zappa, I just couldn't get into it. Like, But like, I was a Kiss fan, you know, so that stuff just never hit me. And same thing, it hit me in such a weird way, I guess, that I never went back to it either. Yeah, I'm going to kind of make it three for three. I, I've tried to get into his stuff a little bit over the last few years and i the only one i own of his is uh what's it called zuda lores i own that one um i kind of like joe's garage a little bit but i certainly couldn't give you a top five because i'm just ignorant on the subject but and i'm all about you know great musicianship and everything you know I, I love all the shredder stuff from the 80s but zappa stuff is just so odd and um where it's almost like let's be weird to be for weird sake so i yeah, I can't really expound upon that. So let's uh, move on to the next question. All right. He says, uh, Andrew also asked, to, says, today is also the 18th anniversary of the passing of Who bassist John Entwistle. What are your top five favorite Who songs? Oh, top five? Um, I don't know that these are in order. Um, Behind Blue Eyes, um, Eminence Front, 
um, Athena, uh, won't get fooled again. Um, I don't know, traditional. Oh, it, I, I'm a hits guy with the Who. You know, yeah. I I really don't. Again, another band that I never really latched onto. I definitely was a Beatles guy more than a Stones or Who guy. But um, you know, anything that the Who had that were hits were pretty good. And quite honestly, never really. I I think I own I own It's Hard. It's the only album I've ever owned by them. And um, yeah, I don't listen to it. <laughs> okay, Aaron. Uh, I kind of, yeah, same thing. I like a lot of their hits. You like the stuff I always heard growing up played on the radio, but I mean, songs like My Generation, I mean, that's a cool song. I heard it a million times. Uh, Won't Get Fooled Again is cool. You know, I like that one, but I think my favorite Who song is probably a little bit deeper than that. I like a song called Pictures of Lily, which is badass. Um, The Seeker, I think, might be my favorite Who song if it wasn't for Trick of the Light, I really like that. That's probably Trick of the Light's probably my favorite Who song. I think I'm kind of the same. I mean, I uh, I haven't really done a deep dive into the the B sides and the deep tracks, but I mean, Won't Get Fooled Again is probably always going to be my favorite Who song because it's just so damn powerful and majestic. And of course, I'm a Kiss nerd, so part of that is seeing the reunion tour and they play that song right before they come on stage, and when Daltry leads out the big scream, that's when the, the curtain drops with the Kiss yeah. logo on it. Um, Eminence Front, definitely one of my favorites. Uh, Bob O'Reilly, I love. Uh, love, Rain Over, love Rain Over Me is how you say it. Um, but yeah, mostly the hits. Uh, the Seeker is a great song, yeah. and actually uh, Rush did a great cover yes. of that song. Oh, I love the Rush cover. That's way better yeah. than the original. And uh, Substitute, I love that one, too. I'm not big into a lot of their early, early stuff, but that's one of them that I like a lot. Okay, good question. Right on. Uh, all right, here we go. Uh, now we move on to the idiot boy Matt questions. And Matt uh, leaves all kinds of ridiculous questions every week, and we love him for it. Mm. So here we go. First one is Kill, Mary or Fuck, Ann Wilson, Mama Cass, or Ian Wadley? All right. I'm going to um, kill Mama Cass. I'm going to marry Ann Wilson, and I'm definitely going to fuck Ian Wadley since he fucked me out of 100 bucks on a Van Halen bet. I thought that was Ralph. Was it Ralph? I thought it was Ian. <laughs> I'm so bitter about losing. <laughs> I Either that or you just you just really want to fuck Ian Wadley. Well, he is kind of sexy, that long hair. Mm. Yeah. We could tie our <laughs> hair together and just grind. Mm. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> All right, well, Aaron, I, I was I was gonna say I would fuck Ian Wadley, but then I hear this reaction, and I don't want to upset Chris and say I know how you feel about him. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and uh, kill Ian. What, what were the other two? <laughs> Ann Wilson and Mama Cass. Uh, um, mm, I guess I fuck Mama Cass and Mary Ann Wilson. All right. It's tough. Well, I'm going to kill Mama. I'm going to kill Mama Cass because she's already dead. So there's no no trouble there. Um, and well, I would probably, yeah, I would probably fuck Ann Wilson before I would Ian Wadley. So I guess I'm marrying Ian. Oh boy. <laughs> really, weren't a lot of wins in that choice, was no, there? No, no really. that's why Matt does this to us every single week. But nonetheless, we're all very all right, happy uh, for you. Yeah. All right. So the next one. Hollywood Hulk Hogan or Hulk Hogan, the real American hero? Man, I never can. I can always remember Matt's not going to let me down with the Hulk Hogan questions. Uh, I hated real American hero guy. I hated it when they put it on Hulk Hogan. I hated it just as much when they put it on Lex Luger. I'm going with Hollywood Hulk Hogan. 
I agree with that 100%. When I was a little kid, the red and yellow Hogan, I mean, yeah, he was cool, but it was kind of lame because he always beat everybody up and you knew he was never going to lose, you know, and it wasn't a lot of fun. I always liked the under guys like Brett the Hitman Hart and Jim the Anvil Neidhart and guys like that. But uh, when he turned evil is when I really became a Hulk Hogan fan because it's like, holy shit, this guy went from... In, in one moment, went from being the number one most popular, most well-known, most heroic wrestler there ever was, to boom, the next moment, he's the most hated and reviled, and everybody just is disgusted with him. And it's like, oh, that is so awesome. That's when I became a Hogan fan. So I'm definitely going Hollywood Hogan for life. And real quick, as a wrestling fan... Watching Bash at the, I think it's Bash at the Beach live when he actually made the change, that was one of the few times ever as a as a wrestling watcher that I ever was like, holy shit, yeah. I can't believe what just happened. You know, it, it really was a holy shit moment in a in a fake um, a fake entertainment that that never has true holy shit moments. It really was shocking. Right, yeah. Those are always okay. the moments in wrestling that are most remembered is the ones where you never seen it coming, you know, and that's what hooks wrestling fans in. That's why even though like for example, Monday Night Raw definitely ain't as good as what I've seen in the past, but you gotta kinda watch it because you've become conditioned to watch it because every once in a while something like that happens and you don't wanna miss it. I think it's just conditioned into our minds of having to be home on Monday nights, you know. I I scheduled jobs around Monday nights, you know? <laughs> When I was young during the Monday night wars when all that stuff was happening. Love it. Mm-hmm. All right, I'll I'll be the corny guy. I, I like the the American hero Hulk Hogan, but that's I grew up on that stuff. I I used to watch the cartoon show. I had all the figures, and I always just loved. You know, he'd be getting beat up, and then he'd start sh- shaking like he's having a damn seizure, and then he'd just start beating the hell out of the guy. I I just love all that stuff. But and I was out of re- by the time the Hollywood Hogan thing came, I was completely disinterested in wrestling. So if I were still really into it, I probably would like that one better. But I'll go with the original. Well, what you gonna do? brother <laughs> yeah uh better woodstock event woodstock 94 or woodstock 99 i know you can't choose 1969 oh, oh man. um let's see 94 had what nine inch nails and metallica and rollins and i think blind melon might have been on that and then a bunch of bands i don't like i think and then Ninety mm-hmm. had Kid Rock and Seven Dust and um, Godsmack. Godsmack. Yeah, I, I got to go with ninety four. Even though I'm not a big fan of either, because I'm not a big fan of these big long festivals that are all mishmashed with you know style clashing, you know, all through it. But I love Metallica. I love Nine Inch Nails. Um, I think Jackal might have actually been on the ninety four ones. So they were. Uh, you know, I I I like them. Um, yeah, I'll take 94. That's what I was going to say. Which one was Jackal on? Was that 94? Yeah, that's the one for me. I'll go to the one with Jackal. Maybe just watch the Jackal set, head on up to the beer tents after that. Yeah, I would, I'd have to go with 94 as well. The only stuff on the 99 one, looking back at it, that I really enjoyed, and really, I mean, I get Corn set was really good, and Megadeth set was really good. But uh, and that was also the one where Lent Biscuits started all the rioting and shit. But uh, oh, yeah. ninety four, 
the, the highlight for me still for 94 was King's X's performance to see them That's break right. all that stuff out in front of a giant crowd and win a lot of people over. I was hoping that would be a springboard for that band, but it just wasn't. But, uh, yeah, Jackal was on that. I mean, Aerosmith, Metallica. And I, plus it was my second to last year in high school. So I kind of have a nostalgic feeling for that, that version of the festival. Right on. Okay. All right. Next one. Who is your favorite actor and why is it Tom Hanks? Tom Hanks. <laughs> <laughs> Try again. No. Tom Hanks could have done us all a favor if he would have died in Philadelphia. Ugh, he's awful. Oh, wow. he's awful. I would go with favorite actor not being Tom Hanks would definitely be Pacino. Big Pacino guy. Even even his crummy movies are are still watchable, but you can't touch the Godfather. One, two, and I'll be the I'll be the idiot that says I like three a little bit as well. So I'll take Pacino. Pacino's pretty good. Um, let's see, movie actors, my favorite. You know, I'm gonna go with Gene Simmons. You know, I thought he was pretty great in <laughs> Runaway, and uh, you know, the other movies, Red Dawn. He was awesome in that. Um, I liked him in Trick or Treat. I mean, classic movies. You got to go with Gene Simmons, right? God, I hope you're kidding. That's what I'm uh, going with. You're, that's your actual answer. Mm-hmm. Oh I don't. How much? I don't. I don't even drinking. Today? I don't follow actors the way I do musicians. You know, I mean, I see people on TV. I okay. think are cool. You know, I see TV shows and stuff. I think are cool, but I don't really follow movie actors. And I don't know. They're not. They're not as interesting as rock and roll bands. There you go. All right. I'll. Uh... I'll, this is kind of an obvious, but I'll go with Denzel Washington because I think m- most of what I've seen him in, he's always great, and he makes the characters his own. I, Training Day is still one of my favorite movies ever, so I, I love it. He's such an asshole in that movie, but he plays it so convincingly. Uh, yeah, I don't think I've ever said – well, the one where he's like a uh, a pilot with a drinking problem. I can't – was it Turbulence or something? I can't remember the name. Velocity? I, it, that was a terrible movie. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I'll go with him. But uh, He's no Gene Simmons. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's why I picked him. <laughs> All right. So let's go with Kansas, Asia, Europe, or Boston. Ooh. Oh, shoot. I'm a big Asia fan. I love I loved the Asia albums, even the ones that were like later in life Asia, like Aura and stuff like that. But, um, and it's hard to beat those first three Boston records. Those... You know, um, the first three are pretty much untouchables to me. Uh, and if you got to kill yourself, killing yourself by grilling yourself to death is is a cool way. So I'm going Boston. Brad Delp is a hero. <laughs> All right, Aaron. Huh. Is this like the uh, the Godfathers of prog rock here? Yeah, kind of. Well, I don't know about Europe. Oh, wow. Um, I'm going to go Europe. I think I like them better because they're more hard rocking. All right. Then some, but the Boston's pretty hit. hard rocking too. So I don't know, but I I just go with Europe. All right. I lived in Kansas for a while, so may, oh, he's not talking about geography. Um, <laughs> not that great. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Um, Europe, I only like a couple of records by, and like Chris said, Boston. I mean, especially the debut album, you can't really argue with that one. So I'll go with Boston on this one. There you go. All right, and now uh, probably the most important question today: What is your favorite flavor of Pringles? Wow, what is what? What is a flavor that I don't like? Come on, <laughs> jeez, Pringles are 
Pringles are phenomenal. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna have to go with. I'm gonna have to go with. God, I want to say ranch, but then I'm thinking I I usually get just like the original flavor more. I'm going original flavor. I like just the original flavor, but Pringles are phenomenal. Yeah, Pringles are pretty great. I but, love them. Um, I'm gonna go with the Cheezums, man. The they're so yellow, they're in orange, and ooh, they're so good. I, those are my favorite for sure. This is why I grow somebody out, but uh, I like the dill pickle flavor. Yeah, mm. those are good yeah. with beer. Yeah, I love the dill pickle flavor too. Those are great. <laughs> Here's a great question: Get punched in the head by Mike Tyson or give head to Vinnie Vincent? Well, <laughs> what the fuck? Well, I used. I used to box when I was in the military, so I could take a punch. So I'll go with uh, – I'll take the punch from Mike Tyson. <laughs> I want nothing to do with Vinnie Vincent, nothing at all. Yeah, I got to mirror that. I don't want nothing to do with Vinnie Vincent either, I guess. Oh, man, this is going to suck, but I'll take the punch in the face. <laughs> yeah, that makes three of us. I don't think anyone wants to put Vinnie's member in their mouth. No, uh, if there still is one. See, I set you up for that. Uh, what is your favorite game show of all time? Mine is Jeopardy. What the fuck is yours? All right. So I grew up in the late 70s, early 80s, and I used to watch these game shows like like nobody's business. I loved all those shows. Card Sharks, Supermarket Sweep, Family Feud, Wheel of Fortune. Um, favorite of all time? I'm going to maybe – I'm going to give it a tie between Match Game and – the dating game and because as a as a little kid that was pervy from a very young age they asked like really kind of dirty questions which was always kind of fun to watch you know my mom's squirm but try to re- try not to react to the fact <laughs> that they were talk- fucking or whatever so <laughs> fun to have her just giggle along with it while you're watching and you knew you were getting away with something so i'm going to go with either dating game or match game cool those are pretty good. I remember game shows too. I always liked The Price Is Right, which I thought was pretty awesome. I always liked Bob Barker. What a cool dude! Um, they're all pretty good, but none of them really compare to Beat the Geek. I don't think. I think that's truly probably the <laughs> easily the best out of all the game shows I ever seen. Jeopardy. I mean, they got some pretty good questions. They're pretty tough most of the time, but Alex Trebek ain't got nothing on me. And there ain't no game show out there that's got anything on Beat the Geek. Okay, I'll echo that because we're biased. (laughs) (laughs) Although I will say uh, two of the first things I ever learned how to say as a child was come on down and new car. from (laughs) (laughs) Yep, that's a true story. That's awesome. Okay, Uh, let's go down. All right, this one comes from uh, our good friend Joshua Toomey. He says... What are your top five Deftone songs? Ugh. Oh, God. How about, how about seven words and no more because the rest of them all stink? Ugh. Not a fan. Deftones, not a fan. All right. Aaron? Yeah, I never really been down with the Deftones either. I guess if I could pick one Deftones thing I like is they do a kind of a cool cover of uh, Sade, The Ordinary Love. <laughs> it's kind of cool. Yeah, when your favorite thing of from a band is a cover song, that's not a good sign. Oh, yeah, <laughs> probably not. Um, I like that one song they do. What is it? that it's, It kind of drones on for a long time, and Chino just whines and moans the whole – or wait, that's their whole catalog. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, actually, I do love the first record, Adrenaline. That was like the only one that has like some real energy to it. I 
I do like My Own Summer from Around the Fur, but Adrenaline has a lot of good songs on it. The first track, Board, I, I love Seven Words, I love Engine Number 9. Uh, that's the only redeeming out. And like, I remember when White Pony came out, all my friends were just raving about this fucking record. And I bought it, and I was, I was like, what the fuck is there to rave about? It's just a, a bunch of meandering nonsense. I just... I, that's one band I do not get. They have never full ever since that first record. They never clicked now. All right. So, uh, hmm. Jeff DV eight says what bands have stayed too long at the party and should call it quits immediately besides kiss either due to diminishing talent, lack of original band members, lack of fans, interest, etc. Wow. Van Halen would be one. Yeah. It's weird because if look, I know, and you guys know all these bands as well, and a lot of them are making a lot of money, even if one guy's still in the band, and you can't really fault them for, you know, even if they wrote two two good hits 40 years ago, and, and they're still able to make 10 grand or 20 grand a night doing it. If you're going to go out there and do it, and you're going to take fans' money, you should at least try to sound somewhat good. You know, that's, that's the only bands I would say should pack it away, are the bands that go out there and just kind of walk through the motions and don't put a good effort out. That's all. Uh, I'll say Motley Crue, but they should have never come back. That's my opinion. Which, of course, COVID's making sure that they don't. Okay, uh, Rano Rev says, Lynch Mob or Dokken if you had to pick one album to listen to? Ooh. Oh, man. So, let's see. My favorite Dokken would be Under Lock and Key. My favorite Lynch Mob would be the first one. Hmm. Which one would I pick? I'd probably go with Dokken just because I know those guys a little better, but I like both bands. Cool. Tooth and nail. Easy. If I can only pick one, mm. that's the one I'm going with. I think I would I would go with Under Lock and Key. That I, I loved Tooth and Nail was my first Dokken record, but I think I like Under Lock and Key a little bit better. All right. So that's it for Instagram. We move on to Twitter, which we have a whopping two questions from. <laughs> uh our our and one of them is our guy who runs our Facebook page. <laughs> so nice. uh, Coxie says, what's the best band that never got famous? He picks a band called Affiance. Hmm. I never heard of that. I guess what de- – I never have either. But, well, they never got famous. Yeah, there you go. I mean, what defines famous? I mean, obviously ACDC is famous. Mm-hmm. Um, is love-hate famous? Yeah. Hmm. You know, I, I mean, we've we've all heard of them, but I think if you if you said, "Hey, what's your favorite love hates song in a bar?" You you get one guy put his <laughs> hand up and go, "I love Blackout," man. You know, and, and the rest of the people would be like, "What? What is that?" Yeah. So, yeah, it comes to what what you define as famous. I mean, love hate would definitely be one for me that I guess never got quote unquote famous. Um, I like. <laughs> There's a band out. There's a band out there called Oz that were kind of a new wave of British heavy metal. Mm, great that, band that most people don't remember them, but I I really love them. Fire in the Brain, just fantastic. Um, I mean, there, there's bands like that. Uh, McQueen Street. Not many people remember McQueen Street, and I thought McQueen Street was awesome. So, who knows, man? You know, there, there there's a lot of them. There's there's probably more. And again, it, it probably goes to what you define famous as. Right. Yeah, there's just so many. You know, I wouldn't even know where to begin. I mean, on a love-hate kind of level, I guess I'd say Enough's Enough. You know, that was a band that should have been... Enough's Enough should be making U2 money, I'm saying. You know, but for whatever reason, you know, I have no idea. There's a million of them. Um, Derek St. Holmes, as a solo artist, that guy should be 
top dog, you know. He's written so many awesome songs over the years and been a part of so many awesome things. I mean, I could go on and on. I mean, there's Pariah, there's Tough, there's Ugly Kid Joe, there's so many. I just, yeah, that's a that's a podcast, not an episode, but a podcast unto itself. Right. Yeah. Uh, the one that came to mind immediately for me was Tora Tora. I, I'm always going to sing that band's praises. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Pariah, Aaron, you turned me on to those guys. That that album should have been much bigger. But yeah, there's yeah, you could do an entire series of shows based on this topic. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, JJ Max says, "What's the best box set? His choice. His choice was Eddie's Head from Iron Maiden. Oof. Boy, there's a lot of good ones too. Yeah. Um, Aerosmith Box of Fire was really good. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Metallica Binge and Purge is excellent. Um, Eddie's Head was excellent. Um, if I have to pick one, and this is a toughie, I'm, I would probably go with the." Um, the Zeppelin box set, the the four CD box set that came in the big album sized box. That was great. I mean, that's just that's just wall to wall. Not that anything Led Zeppelin ever did was bad, but you can just throw those uh, back when we used to have the five CD changers in our car. Four of the five CDs were always those four, and it just ran and ran and ran for probably years in my car. Where I would have I'd have those four CDs, and then whatever I was changing in and out would be the fifth CD. And I played that Led Zeppelin box set to death. So I would go with Led Zeppelin box, but there's there's a bunch of good ones. Yeah, I think some of my favorites would definitely be the ACDC one, um, the Bonfire, if nothing else for, stole the, mine. for the other songs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's got to be right up there. Um, I'd be disappointed if it wasn't your pick, Chris. <laughs> but yeah, just because it's of the so new... Good. The new Bon Scott songs, well, that were new to us, that you got to hear for the very first time, you know, that's that puts that at number one for me easily. But another one I got is the uh, the Hollywood Rocks box set that's got all the weird, obscure Sunset Strip rock in it. And I've even just barely begun to listen to that, and there's so much more in there. Um, but, yeah, those are the two that come to my mind that I like a lot. Hold on, real quick. But what about for for both of you guys? Since you guys are the Kiss fans, what about what about the Kiss box set? That had a lot of cool stuff. It it had too much of the hits material. That was my problem with it, and a lot of the demo stuff. There was some demo stuff that was new, but there was a lot of stuff that was already out in circulation with bootleg collectors but maybe that's on us for being super nerds but right. i was i was a little let down by it personally and i didn't really understand it either because it seemed like you know if you're going to put demos and stuff in there and songs that people haven't heard before then that means that this box set is supposed to be for the diehard fan right you know a, a casual fan isn't going to spend that kind of money on something like that especially at that time that seemed like a lot of money but you're not going to spend that kind of money on something like that and then, you know, just want a greatest hits compilation. Why have all the songs that we already got? We bought them when they came out on LP. A lot of us probably bought them again when they came out on cassette, then bought them again on CD. And that should have been a lot of really cool stuff. That should have been like the mini vault. Mm-hmm. Let me throw one more into the mix real quick here just to, just to see what you guys think because it, it's another one that it would probably be right in my top five as well. What about Time Cubed by Journey? Because that had a lot of cool stuff that had not been released before. I didn't. I never owned it, so I couldn't tell you. Yeah, I'm not a big Journey guy either, but I mean, that's that's what I like in a box set. That's what will make it worthwhile to me. If it's got stuff on there that 
alternative takes, demos, you know, unreleased songs, B-sides, things like that. If a band I like comes out with that, and that's something I always seem to ask whenever we're talking to somebody that's, you know, we're fans of, that has been in a band or an artist that's created music that we've purchased and enjoy, is, is there anything in the vaults, you know? Do you got any vaults? Is there anything on this album that was recorded that didn't get released, you know? Because if you love a band, like, you know, for... For us, for example, Love Kiss, you want to hear everything that's available out there and to hear something was lost or something wasn't recorded. It's almost heartbreaking, you know? <laughs> so those are the kind of box sets that I love. Give me the unreleased stuff. Yeah. Another another great one is the Beatles Anthology. That one's got a lot of unreleased stuff. Yeah. Um, so now we move into Facebook. Uh, John Clark the Fourth says, Quarantine question. Kiss members appearing on albums they never played on. If Peter Chris actually played all drums on Unmasked, how different would the album be? Could he have improved any of the songs? Same question for Ace on Creatures of the Night. Same question for Bruce on Creatures of the Night. Okay, so what is the actual question? Like, would the albums be different? Yeah. Like, do you think they would have improved with different with different members being on the albums, or no? Like, what if Peter Chris played on Unmasked? Wow. Um. I've never been. I've never thought he was that great of a drummer. He was like the Ringo of drummers. Oh. So he well, that's what he aspired so. to be at these times. Well, then he did well. At yeah. Barely playing before beat is great. Uh, no, I, 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 I don't know. I, I would say that it would be that Unmasked would be less good with him playing on it. Um, yeah. Creatures of the Night. If it was Ace instead of instead of um, Vinny. Um, it would be different. It would be more. It would have probably been more bluesy. I think creatures and a, I think creatures became what it became because uh, Vinny had a little bit more of a metal touch to him than a, you know that that I don't even know what you call Ace. It's not really blues, but it's like that sort of. He has his own feel. Yeah. So yeah, mm-hmm. I think I think I think both of the Ace. I think I think the Ace stuff would definitely be different. And if Bruce Kulick played on it, eh, it would have sounded vanilla. <laughs> okay. I kind of, I also, I don't know about vanilla, but I think it would have been just as good. I don't think there would have been too much of a difference because you put Bruce in that situation, he's the same as Vinny, just doing what you're told. Or Vinny Vincent, did he play on the whole thing, or is that like an assortment of different people? Uh, it's a bunch of different people. So, like you know, if yeah. you would had, at least if you had Bruce in there, it would be cohesive because he would have done what he was told and done it right the first time and probably would have played on the whole entire album, no problem. So that one maybe would have been more of a cohesive album. But with Ace on mm. it, I think it would have been way better than what you end up with. As cool as Creatures of the Night is, imagine imagine Eric Carr's drums, boom, boom, you know, so powerful. And then Ace Fraley-style guitar on those songs and Ace's solos on those songs. It could have been so much better. It breaks my heart to know that there ain't such a thing. I wish there was. I completely disagree, disagree with you on Ace on Creatures. I don't think he would have made it better at all. I think Way better. I don't know. It, I think the... The material suits Vinny's type of playing a lot better than Ace's. It it would have it would have been odd sounding. I don't know if they would have written an album with Ace and Ace played on it. I would have been more than happy with that. But 
of course they tried that with the elder, but that wasn't really Ace's fault. No. But yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't change anything. I definitely think Peter would have drug unmasked down even further. I don't I, ugh, I don't even want to think about him playing on that record. Because then he would have had a so, song uh, on there too. In that era, oh man, talk about Ringo Starr. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let me we're not gonna get all of these. Let me go to some of the ones that stand out a little bit better. Okay, here we go. Mark Adams says, have you ever attended a concert where something on stage went very wrong? My three were Janie Lane solo passing out drunk and had to be carried from the stage. Oh. Pat Benatar passing out on stage, forcing the show's postponement in 1981. And my number one humble brag, my first concert was the Ace Fraley Shock Me show back in 76 in Lakeland, Florida. Wow. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I know Chris has seen some crazy I've shit. I've seen some crazy things happen. <laughs> I, I in 2010, I guess it was, um, I was at a uh, Death Magnetic Metallic, and everything everything just stopped working. The amps and everything went out. And what was ironic about it was a few years, well, I guess it would have been several years before, when Metallica was touring on Load, Reload, one of those, they did like uh, the end of the set was this mock stage blowing up and things going bad so everybody sort of assumed that it was just like they had done previously but they really it, it wasn't it just everything just fucked up and it, it just stopped so you had hetfield kind of walking around just uh deer deer in the headlights just didn't know what to do couldn't say anything because the mics weren't working oh man um, and, and just nothing happened. You saw the the rigs coming up and down trying to, you know, I don't know what they were trying to do, but they just were messing. And it was a long, long delay. It was like 25, 30 minutes before they finally, finally they walked off stage and then they came back 30 minutes later and things went back to normal. But it was, uh, it was an absolute disaster of a show because of it. And then the other one that really sticks out was I saw Motley. It was in um, Theater of Pain Tour. And uh, the opening band was um, Y&T. And Y&T came out. They played, I don't know, three songs maybe. And they were playing. And it, it just didn't sound right. I'm a huge Y&T fan. And I was at that time. And it just didn't sound right. And Dave Menachetti's playing and he's playing. And you remember back in the day, they used to they used to have whatever the, the robot guy. They mm -hmm. used to that whatever i don't know what it's called but it was it's called there. rock oh yeah rock all right well they had rock come out like three songs in where normally he would have come out to the end of the state at the end of the show he comes out menachetti throws up on on the <laughs> feature and then just <laughs> drops his guitar on the stage near you know all this nonsense and he wow. just doubles over and starts throwing up wow and he just walked off the stage, and that was it. Three, three, maybe four songs in for Y and T. And what's funny is I asked Benichetti about that, and he was like, "Yeah, that Motley Crew was a tough tour dealing with those young boys." Wow! <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> That's awesome. So he he apparently just partied a little too hard right before the set, and just could not go. So that oh. was, that was another one, and then another really fun one for me was and it wasn't anything that really really bad happened but i was i was really close with the pantera guys and still am with phil and they were playing a, a little place here um in akron ohio and it was them 
Anthrax with John Bush and uh, Sebastian and Phil. Phil had invited me and my friend to come early, so we got down. We got to the venue at like two o'clock or something, and we met up on the bus. And they were already pounding drinks and you know getting high and the the, the things that they do. And so the party at some point moved inside. And everybody just kept coming in and out. Band members from each band were coming in and out of like a big dressing room. And just everybody was drinking. Everybody was partying, laughing, telling stories, holding court. It was really crazy. Well, two of the three bands, Pantera somehow found a way to play well. But Anthrax and Sebastian were god-awful that night. They were just, they were ripped. They were smashed drunk. They played terrible. And then Pantera came out and did what they do. And so, end of concert, whatever. You know, it was a fun time. Month or, month or so goes by, we get whatever magazine it was, Rip or Hip Parade or something. And they're just destroying this concert in a review of this show. Of the guys were clearly drunk. It was the oh, worst wow. show of the tour. These guys should not be partying before. And I'm, and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I was like, oh, my God, did I help ruin this show that's, like, now being reviewed in a, in a magazine? <laughs> so it, that wasn't necessarily a, um, you know, uh, horrible, horrible moment. But it was one of those for me that because I participated in it, it, it seemed like a crazy moment. Wow. wow. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I guess I've been lucky. I haven't seen a lot of fuck-ups in concerts. Everything seems to go pretty smoothly most of the time I go. But I do remember back in 97 at the Ozfest when Marilyn Manson came on stage. And that was at the time where I think he actually got banned from some of those shows in the area. But he was playing at Alpine Valley. And Alpine Valley's known for its seats down below. And then it's like hill, grassy hill up above. And people were known for ripping up the grass and throwing rocks and shit sometimes, you know. It was kind of a thing that was known to happen. And Marilyn Manson comes out on stage and people start throwing shit, like, way down there. People from way up at the top, down all the way down onto the bowl. You got to really chuck it, you know, if you're trying to hit the stage. But Marilyn Manson comes out and it starts out a little bit and shit's kind of hitting the stage a little bit by a little bit. Most of it ain't making it even close. It's just hitting the people down below. And... uh so Marilyn Manson comes out, he stops song, and he's like, hey, what do I got to do? Paint a bullseye on my chest for you pussies up on the hill? <laughs> <laughs> and I swear to God, you know, because we were down at the top of the the top of the seats you know we were, and i looked up and man it was like a meteor shower over the top of us and shit crashing all around us and getting hit with rocks and oh man that was crazy marilyn manson did like the half of that next song and they all ran off the stage and that was it oh that's that's the only good one i got uh the one that came to mind when i saw this question actually happened about a year ago Went to see uh, Pollen Oats and Tears for Fears. So Tears for Fears comes on, they play. They're pretty good. I forgot how good they were. And then Pollen Oats is who I really was wanting to see because I grew up a, kind of a fan of theirs. And Daryl Hall just from the from the jump was just in a shit mood. And you know John Oates lives here, and they're in like after like two or three songs, he just looks surly. Daryl Hall looks surly through the first few songs. And then, in, like, after the first two or three songs, he goes, yeah, so it's been a while since we've been back in Nashville. And then John Oates gets on the mic and goes, yeah, I live here now. I love this place. And, and Daryl goes, well, yeah, that's why we agreed to do the show here. 
<laughs> it was like, oh. <laughs> and it was like, and like people actually booed Daryl Hall for saying that. And then it just, then it was, it just got worse as the show went on. And like, like he just was being an asshole. Every time he had to speak to the crowd, he's just being a prick. And you could see John Oates was getting pissed off about it. So it gets to the point where they get near the uh, encores, and I think the song was, I think it was Private Eyes. So he intros, he goes, all right, here's another one. And they go into the intro of it, and we were sitting pretty far back, but even from the, the high-up seats, you could see they were, like, actually yelling at each other on stage. <laughs> it, like, they, they were really pissed off at each other. And there was no, like, big thank you at the end of those, all right, thanks. And then they left. Like, they were, like, arguing through the whole show. It was insane. Wow. <laughs> nice. <laughs> You got to see Hall. Versus I, was like, I never Oates. thought I'd go to a Hall and Oates show and see the. Yeah, I never thought I'd see Hall and Oates arguing at a concert. <laughs> um, all right, uh, Matthew Andrews says related to Mark Adams' question. How about the weirdest slash scariest crowd antics? He says he was at a Skid Row and Slayer show one night. Sebastian invites stage divers up, and one guy hangs around too long, thinking he's going to dance with the group. Sebastian yells at him, "What? Do you think you're in the band, man?" And kicks him in the ass straight off the stage. <laughs> <laughs> Any uh, cr- any audience craziness? Oh, wow. Um, you know, it's funny because I was listening to Aaron's story, and I had a similar experience at an OzFest. It wasn't the one with Manson. It was the one with um, – I remember it was during Disturbed set. Disturbed was playing, and it was like Disturbed, Slipknot, um, Black Label Society were, were the main bands. And um, people hated Disturbed, and it was at an outdoor – like one of these outdoor, you know, amphitheater places. And midway through disturbed set, we were like way, we were maybe five rows back from the, from the stage. And this place has probably 50 rows. So it's a, it's a big amphitheater. It's seats like 18,000 people. And out of nowhere, we start getting hit with mud clumps and we're like, what in the hell? We turned around the entire lawn was just flinging, and it looked like it was raining mud, and it just was nonstop throughout yeah. Disturbed set, and and they didn't flinch, they didn't even react to it, they just kept on going. Meanwhile, we got pummeled with mud and dirt clods. So right. the band don't that care because be they can't reach the stage. Everybody else in the crowd is like, "Oh shit, we're getting killed." Exactly. <laughs> so that was one. Uh, another one was I saw um, Guns N' Roses and Skid Row at um, Shoreline Amphitheater in um, by San Francisco, and um, Skid Row played. Skid Row played at like six thirty, you know, and and then Axel did his normal bullshit where he just didn't want to start the show. People were losing their minds because Axel didn't even come out, or Guns N' Roses didn't even come out till like ten forty five. Skid Row was done at seven. Oh shit! So it was like a three and a half hours. People are getting more and more drunk, more and more pissed. So Guns N' Roses finally comes out. Boo! You know everybody. Everybody's booing Guns N' Roses at this point. Axel plays one song. Goes, if you guys keep booing us, we're leaving. Fuck you! <laughs> and, oh, and then it got even louder, as you can imagine. Then it was like, Aah! you know, everybody. <laughs> Axel leaves the goddamn state. Now this was this was like ninety two, maybe. So it was it was right around the time of like the St. Louis riot as well. And it was just clear that it was like, oh my 
my God, we're going to be into some mess here. Because when he left the stage, it seemed like everybody was going to rush the stage. Oh, shit. And then it, and it was scary as hell. I ain't going to lie. And, you know, I'm not afraid of much. But I was definitely like, well, looks like I'm going to be fighting my way out of this one. <laughs> but then oh, almost, almost immediately Duff and um, Slash came back on stage. And they just started playing like some weird solo thing that it was sort of it was sort of that Godfather solo that Slash is known to play. But then it just went into a a very long solo. And then and then by the end of the solo, then Axel reemerged. And like, you know, so basically there was some manager that was like, dude, get out there on that stage. (laughs) And then they came out and they played their show and they played a great set. But they played till like three in the morning or something. It was, it was ridiculous. It was like on a Tuesday night or something, but it was craziness, man. It was, it was really, really nuts. That's wild, man. I can't, yeah, I can't top that. That's amazing. I can't think of any. (laughs) We had, we had Starwood Amphitheater here in Nashville. And the only ones I can really think of of anything getting that too out of hand was uh, Metallica was playing on uh, when they were promoting binge and purge. And uh, they, the crowd started setting bonfires on the hill. There were like fires all over the place. Dang. So that was that was kind of wild. And then uh, when Scorpions and Motley Crue came here, it rained all through the Scorpion set. And by the time Motley Crue was coming on, people weren't even paying attention to Motley Crue. Everybody was just sliding down the, the mud on the hill. It's <laughs> like, fuck you, Motley Crue. We're just going to have fun. Uh, and, uh, yeah, Motley Crue was terrible, too. Scorpions are great. If you've never seen them live, they're worth it. Um, I guess we got we got a couple of more yeah. questions. These have all been really good, but I got to know. You guys teased it at the beginning of the show. I'm a fan. Maybe not as big a fan as Cal Hintz, but I want to hear the Brett Michaels story. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, there's a couple on that. There's a few. I'll, I'll start with one. I used to own a little music uh, magazine called Music's Bottom Line. It was... Uh, it was it's like the free you know the free mags that you find in the bars yeah and, you know and and we did interviews and whatnot so one of the interviews we lined up remember the album Poison did Power to the People sure yeah well they sent out promos for of the the there's like five studio tracks and then a, a live album on yeah. it yeah well they sent out promos for people that were doing the interviews and. So I get the CD. The CD has five 30-second clips, and that's all that's on it. Two and a half total minutes of music. Okay. So as all of us do, you know, we're working day jobs. So I'm, I'm working my day job, and for whatever reason, I couldn't get out of my day job to do this Brett Michaels interview. So I called my friend Randy, and I said, hey, could you, could you do the interview for me? And he's like, yeah, man. Sure, he's a huge. Anything that was out in the '80s is his shit, and I mean, he lives for those bands, Poison and Warrant and Winger, and 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 you know, and that's fine. Right so on. I thought, okay, he'll be worth. He'll know the questions. Plus, I had a list of my own questions that were already written sitting on my desk. But I called Randy. I said, "Hey, go go to my house, do the interview." Fair enough. He goes to do the interview. The publicist calls and says, oh, yeah, I'm looking for Chris. And she goes, and this is all on, on this is actually recorded. I could actually send you the audio of this whole thing. So <laughs> to, to prove that I'm not making any of this up, but there's actual audio of this. But he goes, he goes, yeah, Chris got stuck at work, but I'm here to do the interview. And she goes, 
well, it's supposed to be with Chris. And he's like, it's okay. I know everything about Poison. I've been a fan since 1988. I've been a big fan, you know, blah, 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 blah. Well, have you heard the new music? And he goes, no, I haven't heard the music. Meanwhile, again, it's two and a half minutes of music. Right. And after they go back and forth and he tries to get through to her that, hey, he can do an interview without wasting these two minutes of time here in this music. She finally goes, well, I guess it's not in our best interest to do the interview then if you haven't heard the material. Wow. I was like, ugh, you stink. So that was the first fun with Brett. I've had several encounters with Brett. Second one. I'm doing an interview with Brett, I, and this time I actually did the interview. He calls 15 minutes late, and then he doesn't want to do the interview in the first fucking place. So he gets on the phone. He's in a shitty mood, and he's like, how long do we have to do this for? Oh, man. You know, and it's like, I mean, he was just a total dick. And I was like, dude, we could, I'll keep you on schedule. I'll cut my interview time to 15 minutes to keep you on, blah, 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 you know, whatever. All right, well, let's get this shit done, all right? Wow. Fair enough. I, I do the intro to the to the thing. I, hey, you know, it's the this was I was on a show called The Metal Show here on WMMS in Cleveland. I I do the intro. Hey, it's Chris Aiken from The Metal Show and on the line right now it's Brett Michaels. Hey buddy, how you doing? Good to speak to you. I mean just the the total fake up Brett Michaels. Like to the guy Two seconds ago was telling me that he just didn't want to be bothered with me. Now he's Mr. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. It's great to speak to you. And I was like, Ugh, you fucking phony. You know? Wow. <laughs> so that's number two. Number three. On this metal show that we used to do, we used to play really heavy stuff. It was like deicide and that kind of stuff. Then it was hair metal type stuff. We would get asked by the venue that was bringing that brought poison in to do interviews with them to help them sell their shows. If their shows weren't selling real well, we did get asked to do poison. So we said, yeah, we'll do an interview. We'll give away tickets for six weeks or whatever. We'll do the six weeks of promotion, get people to get meet and greet. It's pretty cool promotion. You take us to the show. You get to meet the band. You get an autograph, get a picture, blah, blah, blah. Right on. Fine. Poison plays their show. It was Poison Doc and LA Guns. I was hanging out with Don Doc, and we were hanging out in the. There's like a room where they were doing the meet and greets later in the evening. So, but during the day, that's where they had the, um, like the the catering and stuff. So we were back there after Doc and played, getting a sandwich and just shooting the shit. Me and Don are drinking a lot, and I got a good head full of alcohol in me <laughs> at this point. So. At some point, Poison's show ends, and the security guy tells me I need to go back out to the front of the of the venue and get my get my group, which is the people that won the meet and greet, get them organized. So I was like, okay, how hard can that be? You know, I walk out. There's a group of people sitting there. You know, I say, who's who's here for the MMS meet and greet? Bunch of people say yes. Like, okay, you guys come over here, sit them in some seats. It breaks down into three meet and greet selections it's paid meet and greet brett michaels paid meet and greet radio station meet and greet get my guys all in order we go back you know at we're we're of course last after the paid meet and greet well fair enough that should get the preferential i get that but we go in we go in by this time i'm hammered (laughs) brett 
out of his paid meet and greet, found two chicks that he, I don't know what he was doing. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say he was going to take them back and fuck them, but I have my thoughts. So he gets up to leave without signing anything from this last group of people. He just gets up and starts walking. Well, I'm drunk out of my mind and I'm like, motherfucker, you better fucking sit down and sign these people's shit. Oh, damn. (laughs) I am screaming at Brett. You know, I was, I was just completely wasted. Finally, Brett yells over to Big John. He's like, just bring these fucking people over. Brett signed everybody's shit, didn't shake hands, nothing. Uh. But he, he just signed their shit begrudgingly. And it was just like, yeah, you're goddamn right, dude. Sign that shit, you fucking asshole. Wow. <laughs> I don't have a lot of love for Brett Michaels at all find him to be a very big phony and it's and and i'll tell you you guys probably know this but i hate more than anything when bands that i liked as a kid turn out to be douches i it's it's really sad because i'll I'll admit it those first four poison records i loved i loved you know um through through native tongue i loved what they were doing and and i have a hard time listening to any of it now because of my interactions with brett and that sucks. Uh, you know, I, I, I was real happy last year that I, I was able to do a, a, a pretty friendly, good, solid interview with Ricky Rocket because oh I, I, he's a really nice guy. Yeah, and awesome. I was hopeful that some of my escapades with Brett, because they're all over the Internet with the CMS stuff. You know, I, I've told these stories before and I was really hopeful that it wasn't going to be, well, you're the guy that talks shit about this band. So, no, you can't do the interview. But Ricky was very cool, and we had a very nice conversation, and I was happy to promote what was his drum thing that he was doing at the time, and it's like, cool, you know, nice guy. But, yeah, some, it's just frustrating when some of these guys that you really, really were a fan of, you know, when you meet them and you realize, well, it was better when I didn't know them. Right. right. I mean, but I can kind of understand, like, you know, even if you're having a bad day and you got an interview coming up, you know, you mm-hmm. want to put on... You say, well, people are going to be listening to this. They don't want to hear me having a bad day, so let me turn it on a little bit. But, I mean, don't grumble about it on the front end. <laughs> Just, you know what? Grumble about it before you call. Yell at your publicist going, how many of these, how many more of these fucking things do I got to do? And then get on the phone and go, hey, buddy, how are you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, to speak to you. I, I mean, that dude, sets you guys bad do tone. interviews. You, you have, you've done interviews, and you know as well as I do, not everybody, not everybody that you're interviewing Especially when they're thirteen interviews in on a twenty-three right. interview day, they're they're not they're not at their peak. They're not they're not thrilled to be talking to you. Well, here's you know? one. Here's one I'll never forget. It was when we very first started the show, and so we're not really confident with ourselves completely as we would later become. And mm-hmm. so this was one of our first. I guess it may be, have been our first big interview, but we're going to talk to Rust Wharf, and it's like, oh wow, we're so excited. And then Rust Wharf gets on the phone. It's like, wow, wow, wow. Hey, Russ, how you doing? Not so good. <laughs> but things, it, it ended up when we talked to him, you know, things turned around pretty quick. But, I mean, at first it was like, oh, shit. <laughs> you don't expect to hear that when you're about to do an interview because you're so excited. Who knows mm-hmm. what's going on on their end of the world? Yeah. Dude, one of, one of the worst worst things I've ever had happen to me, and it was my first big metal interview, was with Ronnie James Dio. And, and and I mean, I went from interviewing local bands here in Cleveland 
to I interviewed weird story. I interviewed New Edition, and it was, that was my first national interview I ever did. Was New Edition? I interviewed oh. Johnny Gill, wow. and. It ended up being the cover of the magazine that I was working for at the time. Now, I had only been writing like a month. Holy shit. You know, and I got, I got this huge interview because somebody else couldn't do it, and they knew I was probably the only one that knew anything about New Edition. So I did this interview. It ended up being good enough that they put it on the cover of their magazine. So because of that, then all of a sudden I was like legitimized to where I could do real interviews. And the next interview I do, Ronnie James Dio. Holy shit. And it's like. And, and as I told you guys before, that was my introduction into metal was Black Sabbath, Heaven yeah. and Hell. Mm. And it's like Ronnie James Dio. And it's on Angry Machines. And one of the first reviews I ever wrote was a CD review just trashing Angry Machines. Oh, shit. Because I, <laughs> I, I hate it. And I still remember the quote. The quote was, listening to this is kind of like watching Lyle Alzado die. It, 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 it was just the most harshest quote ever. And it was, and then I broke it down. I was like, it was once a big, a big monstrous thing. And now it's just a mere shell of itself. You know, it was, it was just the most horrible quote ever. Wow. So Dio, Dio gets on the phone and my phone rings. I am shaking, excited. I'm like, Oh my God, Ronnie fucking James Dio answered the phone. And he goes, Hey, it's Ronnie James Dio. Is this Chris Aiken? And I was like, yes, Mr. Dio. It is you know, Mr. Dio. Yes, Mr. Dio. <laughs> And he goes, are you the guy that wrote? And he reads me back my review. Fuck yeah. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. He's going to hang up on me. He's going to fucking hang up on me. And and but he asked me at the end, he reads this this horrible review back. And he, he asked me, he goes, are you the one that wrote this? And I said, yeah, Ronnie, I did. And and I'll give this guy all the credit in the world forever and why he's a legend. He goes, maybe you didn't understand what I was going for with this album. And he spent the next hour talking to me about this album and what he was trying to go for and, and whatever. And he could not have been nicer to me. And you know, you, you know, that the fact that he had the review, you know, it pissed him off. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, but, <laughs> But he was completely, completely nice to me. He invited me out to the show. I go to the show. He, you know, I have backstage passes to the show. I meet him. I meet the band. And in my all-time meet, I'm hanging out with him, just shooting the shit. And he goes, do you want to meet somebody? And I'm thinking it's going to be Tracy G or, you know, somebody in his band. I'm thinking, you know, I don't know who he's going to introduce me to. Please be Lyle Elzato. Takes- Please be Lyle Elzato. No. <laughs> No, this was like the unbelievable moment of all moments. It was Jimmy Page. Holy oh, shit. Jimmy Page was playing. There was one of those um, Page plant shows was playing the next night across the street at the venue across the street. And they were in town and they all it was the the, the tour was Dio and Iron Maiden with Blaze and um, I think Monster Magnet. So, you know, a lot of those guys are from are from England. So. They all know Paige. They all, you know, they all run in that circle, I guess. Wow. And so Jimmy Page just happened to be there. And I still, to this day, I have a, I have a Dio concert ticket signed by Jimmy Page because it's the only thing that I had for Jimmy Page to sign. Wow. But, but Holy it, story. It, Holy it, fuck. It, it was cool, man. <laughs> and all that because I wrote nasty things about Dio. Wow. <laughs> 
That's amazing. So I, you need I to get a T-shirt. Them, you need to get a black T-shirt with white letters that says, Ronnie James Dio introduced me to Jimmy Page and wear that motherfucker every day. <laughs> it's an amazing moment. What were you saying, Chris? So do you, did, I have to ask, after his hour-long dissertation of what he was going for, do you now like Angry Machines? Yeah. No, not at all. Oh, I thought for sure it was going to end with, and it. you know what? I've got a new appreciation for that album. No, I don't, because it still was Ronnie James Dio trying to do social commentary, which didn't work. But, you know, but I, have a, but I, I don't have an appreciation for the album, but I do have an appreciation for the guy, and that, yeah. that'll never change. That that was balls. I mean, he could have just thinking about it. He's Ronnie James Dio at that point in his career. He's done everything there is. He's done yeah. Rainbow. He's done Dio. He's done Sabbath. He could have looked at that review and said, "Yeah, not talking to this asshole. Who's yeah, next? Fuck that guy." But but he just was like, "Let me just explain to you what I was going for." And you know, okay. the other side of that too is to have the balls to come right to you and be like, "Are you the guy that said this?" A lot of people would no sell that, you know, and just be like. Oh well, I'm going to pretend I didn't read his interview and go ahead with it. You know, he really called you out on it and put you on the spot. And kudos to you for being honest. I mean, what choice did you really have? <laughs> he did. He did say to me when I met him in person that one time. He said that 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 was why he talked to me as long as he did because I admitted to it and I didn't give him the well. They changed what I was saying a little. You know, I didn't give him that old line. I just said, "Yep, I wrote that." You know, yeah. What else can you do? That's awesome, dude. He respected me, and I certainly respected him then. And now, miss him. Wish he was still here. But yeah, what a what a great memory. That's a memory that I will take to my grave. That's awesome. That's freaking awesome. Yeah, yeah. he always seemed like somebody who could see through bullshit a mile away. (laughs) He was. He was really. I got to know him a little bit through the year. That was a whole other thing about that guy. You know, I wouldn't see him for like two years or whatever because you know they come through town once and then by the time they finish their touring cycle record a new record come back you know come back again it's a year and a half two years and every time i ran into him after i I ran into him 11 12 times after every single time he knew me right away he was like chris aiken how are you my friend nice every single time finger pointing at me chris aiken how you doing and it was just like dude you meet a million freaking people how in the hell do you remember one douchebag from Cleveland? You know, and, and, and he just was, he always knew my name. He always was cordial. He always was, you know, whether he was pretending or not, he seemed like he was interested in, you know, what he would ask me, how my life is going. He was just a genuine, genuine guy, man. He's, uh, of all the people that I've met, the only, the only guy that's even close to him as far as being ultimately genuine like that. And obviously on the, the other end of the spectrum of fame, but Chip's enough. Yeah. Chip, Chip's another one of those guys, uh, the most genuine, real guy, always remembers you, always. If he sees you at a show, or at least for me, you know, I didn't see him. We, he was playing at um, maybe six, eight months ago with um, Tom Kiefer. And um, I went to the show and I hear, the, I hear somebody yelling my name across the the venue and i look up and it's chips enough hey buddy come on over and it's like hey what's <laughs> but you know he picked me out and just just a genuine another genuine genuine guy man real deal guys so i like the real deal guys i'll take them over the brett michaels any day yeah hard cool. to beat chips enough and god yeah, bless yeah. ronnie james dio hell yeah cool 
So let's get through a couple more questions, and then we'll do the game. Is that cool? Yeah. Me. All right. Uh, David Cathy says wants to know what's the worst opening act you ever saw. His was via, his was a band called After the Fire on the Van Halen tour in 1979. He says people were throwing trash on the stage. <laughs> wow. All right. I have two. Um, Deftones would be one. I saw Deftones open for Anthrax, and Ooh. the venue was packed, and I mean packed. And it was before Deftones were famous at all. Like, nobody knew who they were. I didn't even know who they were at the time, even though I was in the media. And I'm in there, and they played Bored, I think, is what they opened with. Mm-hmm. And, and they played, and they ended the song. Dead silence. <laughs> Dead silence. Nobody even going, woo! Nothing. Just silence. Wow. So they just kicked into another song and played another song. Dead silence. And then somebody yelled out, insane in the membrane, you know, (laughs) and everybody in the audience laughed and um, they played one more song and left. I don't know if that was because they were pissed or because that was all they had time for, but, but they were miserable and no one in the anthrax crowd liked them at all, gave them nothing. That was one, that that was one. And the other one was I saw Voivod at a small club once. And the opening band was actually a local band from Cleveland, so you would have thought they would have had some juice. It was a band called Disengage, who actually had a record deal, and and they were actually an okay band. But they played, and it was a clearly awful mismatch of of styles, band styles. And at one point, first of all, it it was a small club that maybe held 150 people, and all the people were at the bar and around, and there was like a, a little floor, like a mosh floor type thing. Maybe 50 people would fit on. Not a soul stood there, for di- not even girlfriends, for disengage. Just nobody. So they, they started yelling that they were going to throw CDs out. Nothing. So then they threw CDs out, and you just watched the CDs hit the floor. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, that sucks. <laughs> CDs oh, cracked terrible. and breaking as they hit the floor, and they got no love. And they literally left the stage. We're like, fuck you, Cleveland. We're sorry we're from here. <laughs> wow. It was awful. And I felt bad for them because it was really, you know, they're, they're, they're playing their home thing. It was probably their first gig in front of a you know, a national band, and they just got nothing. No one wanted anything to do with them. It was really not a good show. Man, that sucks. <laughs> I feel bad for them. <laughs> I think mine would easily be Trickster. My my very first big show that I went to when it was Kiss, Great White, and Trickster. And, I mean, Trickster was just not good. You know, it was, it was kind of a – I don't know if it's one of those things where you're so excited for the headliner, but that can't be the case because Great White was awesome. Trickster was just bad. Yeah, I saw Trickster here in Nashville open for, on that show too, and they they were not good. I will say there's two that come, that make that almost eclipse them. One was Candlebox opening up for Metallica Ooh. because uh, it was supposed to be Alice in Chains and then Lane O'Deed, and they Candlebox was the fill in. It was suicidal, then Candlebox, then Metallica. So you can imagine how well they were received. <laughs> so uh, they were the the singer was in a shit mood, and I think he was feeding off the crowd's negative energy, and he just kind of talked through the lyrics. I've heard from so many other people that they're great live, but they were not that night. And then the other one is more recently, um, and it's hard to call them an opening act because it was more of a co-headline thing in a club, and it was Faster Pussycat headlining and Bang Tango opening up, <laughs> and. 
Bang t- it was the Bang Tango before they reunited. So, and I, I had never seen Bang Tango live, so I was like, "Well, fuck it, I'll, I'll stick around and see what they sound like." I was at mainly there to flyer for Rock and Pod, okay. but so I was like, "All right, I'll hang out and listen to some Bang Tango." I got through three songs, and I was like, "Fuck this!" and I walked out. They were so Dang. fucking bad. Were and, they musically, or was it was it Joe's um, gravelly voice, or what? Mostly Joe's voice, but like musically, they were they were they were out of sorts too they just did they weren't locked in real well it just sounded loose and lazy and and joe's his joe lestay has no voice at all he sucked uh, which I, I was very let down i mean i don't know he may have always been that bad i don't know but but yeah that boy bang tango awful awful band um let's see oh grayson gallego says it's my birthday sunday which is today can i get a happy birthday shout out happy birthday grayson happy birthday grayson and he wants to know what's your favorite song or album to drink along to Oh, to drink along to. Um, God, so many because I'm an alcoholic. Jeez, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, probably anything by Pantera. Maybe like Yesterday Don't Mean Shit or something like that. You know, anything Pantera makes me want to drink. <laughs> That's a good one. Pantera is good drinking music. If I could only pick one album to drink to, it's probably the same album I'd want to pick to do anything else to. The uh, 78 Ace Fraley solo album. I'm shocked. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I will go ACDC's Power Age. That's mine. It's a good one. Yeah, you can't go yeah. wrong. That, that uh, old ACDC's good drinking music. Yep. Uh, Eric Luzier wants to know, what are your thoughts on Nita Strauss? Um, I just interviewed her for the first time maybe three months ago or something. It's during COVID. And she's awesome. I mean, she, she, she is. She can obviously play. I mean, she's yeah. a ridiculously good player, and certainly does not awful on the eyes. She's definitely good to look at. But she was she, she was so cool to talk to, which which I was a little taken aback by because I had actually interviewed um, the girl that was in her slot with Cooper before her, that Oriante girl. Oriente, yeah. yeah, she was not nice, and um, yeah. and Nita, Nita. You know, I, and I, I've known Nita a little bit from the um, the Iron Maidens time that she did as well. But she um, I, she just seems like a genuine, real person. Like she's she's not faking it. She doesn't have this skill, and she's just using it to get ahead. She she really comes off like she's a true metalhead. She really believes in 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 what she's doing. She loves what she's doing. She loves playing these classics with Alice Cooper. She shows up at and just on the spot jams Iron Maiden stuff with anybody that'll come up. She seems like she's the real deal. And that's from both talking to her and just kind of watching her evolve. I'm a big, big fan of her. Yeah, big fan too. Every time I've seen her play with Alice Cooper, I've seen I think two shows with her as part of the band. And yeah, she's great, man. Plays good. Amazing. Another thing that I thought I saw a couple of weeks ago was maybe a question that we missed was about Alice Cooper recording an album with the band that he plays live with. And I would be 100% behind that because, I mean, you got such talented guys in that and girls in that group that uh, mm-hmm. Alice Cooper plays live with. I would love to hear what that group could do on an album. Yeah, that, I agree. Does anybody know the reason he doesn't do that? I think it, I think it's a Bob Ezrin thing. I think Bob Ezrin just always prefers to use studio players, and he thinks it's more efficient that way. That's my guess, but 
I don't know. I think, you know, what do you have to lose? I mean, just put, let that – I wish he would give that band a, a shot because, you know, they're all good players. Ryan Roxy, Tommy Hendrickson, like they're Chuck good Garrick, writers and, yeah. and players. Give and, them a chance. And they would have so much – not that they don't play with passion now, but how much more passion would they have to songs that they're actually a part of? Indeed. Yeah, yeah I wish they would do that. Uh, all right, so let's do, let's go. This will be the last. This is a quick lightning round thing. Keith Rockford sent, so it's just pick one of one of the two choices. Alice Cooper, da da, or Welcome to My Nightmare, da da. Welcome Ooh. to My Nightmare. Yeah, I love da da, but I, I'll have to go with Welcome to My Nightmare for that one. Yeah, da da, uh, awesome, but yeah, you can't. That one's hard to top. Yeah, Thin Lizzy, Black Rose, or Bad Reputation. Hmm. Not the biggest fan of Thin Lizzy, believe it or not, but I if I had to pick one of these two, I would probably pick Bad Reputation. Yeah, Bad Reputation, hands down. No, I'd pick Black Rose. <clears throat> I like it better. Uh, or 1987. Slide it in by about a million percent. <laughs> Slide it in for sure, yeah. 1987, I'm going to be the weird one. <laughs> but that's the guy who uh, loves Crazy Nights. It makes sense. Exactly. Yeah, I got that's how I got into White Snake was that album. All right. Uh, all right. So uh, the Aaron Camaro special question: Ugly Kid Joe or Tough? <sighs> I'm gonna get my cheesehead card pulled here, but uh, I'm gonna go. But I gotta go with Ugly Kid Joe. I think I gotta go with Ugly Kid Joe too, but not for the reasons you're thinking. Because I like the stuff that they did after their time was over. Hotel yeah. California yeah. and the one that has. Um, has Men- God and um, Menace to Sobriety, which on it, yeah, those albums fucking rock. Yeah, they do. Those are really good. I, I was a fan of Love you know, and, and Cats in the Cradle and stuff, but once their time was over, I liked a lot of what they were doing, and I even liked the stuff that Wit did after that band Medication that was really yeah. good. With I'm a big Wit fan, man. I, I like him. Cool. I, I go with Ugly Kid Joe, and that's an easy one. I mean, I like Tough, but Ugly Kid Joe is definitely the better choice for me. Well, and speaking right, of medication, and- I think there was a question somewhere in there we missed that I didn't really catch who wrote it, but somebody was asking about our favorite new metal bands. Chris, is there any new metal that you get into? I do like new metal. I, I mean, I was I I'm, I proudly wear my my corn limp biscuit, you know, love on my sleeve. My favorite of. I don't know if you would call them specifically new metal as much as maybe a little more rap metal, but I love Stuck Mojo, yeah. big fucking Stuck Mojo guy. Um, I I liked most new metal. I didn't like some of it, like Crazy Town and stuff like that. I wasn't a big huge fan of, but no. all that stuff. I was I dude. I, I'm one of those guys that kind of flows with the time, whatever the time is bringing. I I still like all my old stuff, but you know I am I'm just as adept to grab onto even today's stuff. You know the the Kill Switch Engage and the you know stuff like that today. I'm I like everything. <laughs> so yes, I did like some new metal stuff. I would say Limp Biscuit or or Corn or Stuck Mojo. Stuck Mojo would be one, and Limp Biscuit would be two, and Corn would be three. Wow. See, and with me, new metal. There's a lot of new metal bands that I like. Some of their stuff, you like songs here and there. Like I can say, well, I, I like some Corn songs, and I like some System of Down songs. You know, but the ones that I always liked the best was uh, the Murder Dolls or Wednesday Thirteen. Always love that stuff. Rob Zombie, Marilyn Manson. I like Power Man Five Thousand. 
Um, I like that band Union Underground, and we actually got to meet the guitar player because he was playing for Lita Ford one time when we went up with Metal Mike to see him in Louisville. And uh, when you mentioned medication, that's what made me think of that question as I actually was thinking about what are my favorite new metal bands. But medication was Whitfield Crane from Ugly Kid Joe and Logan Mater, I think, from Soulfly. Machine, yep, Machine yeah, he was, Head. Was that it? Or I thought it was Soulfly. He was, he was with both. He was with yeah. Soulfly and he was with Machine okay, Head. Okay, all right. But that was, they wrote some good songs, and anything Whitfield Crane does is going to kind of sound like Ugly Kid Joe. So and I actually got to see them live one time opening for Cold Chamber, which were okay. pretty damn good. Yeah, he also did that band, um, what was it called? Another Animal, which was basically um, Godsmack, but with wit on vocals instead of. Um, the little guy, whatever his Sully. name is. Sully Erna, yeah. Sorry. I should the re- little guy. Well, he is. He's like five foot four or something. No, you're right. Yeah, that album wasn't as good, I don't think. Being a big Ugly Kid Joe fan and a big fan of Whitfield Crane, I think that's like one of the weaker ones because, I don't know, they were Godsmack songs. Yeah, exactly. I do love that you brought up Union Underground, though, because that, that Education Rebellion was an awesome record. Yeah, that was really like, good. I liked that one a lot back in the day. Yeah, and didn't didn't um, Disturbed f- came from the fallout of that band, didn't they? Wasn't wasn't somebody from Disturbed in that band? I hmm. think I'm looking. Yeah, John Moyer. Huh. Oh, I didn't know he was in that band. Yeah, he was the he was in that band. I just just pulled it up, and yeah, he was in it. I thought I remembered that. Yeah, right on. And like I said, that time we went up to Louisville to see Lita Ford. We got to hang out with uh, Bobby Rock a little bit, and he introduced us to to lead his guitar player, and he had played in Union Underground. Oh, wow. <laughs> I guess that's one of those. It's like London. It's a band that everybody got their start in. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> London. Oh, man. Yeah, for new Metal, I, I, lo- I played in a new Metal band. But, yeah, I love Corn, Lent Biscuit, uh, Soulfly. There was a lot of stuff from that era that I- I got into so I yeah I, I still I still listen to some of that, that stuff. Um, final thing from Keith Rockford and this is like the choice between syphilis and gonorrhea: Psycho Circus or The Elder? Psycho Circus by a lot. Mm, I'm gonna go with The Elder. Yeah, uh, I think so. I guess I would go with Psycho Circus, but I wouldn't enjoy it. Uh, do you like anything after Psycho Circus? Yeah, uh, I don't. I lo- I like Sonic Boom on certain songs. I love Monster. Okay. Yeah. See, I'm the same yeah. way too with Psycho Circus. I like some of the songs on there, but some of them don't feel right, you know. And and uh, with Sonic Boom, I like Sonic Boom. You know, it's not terrible. I mean, by Kiss standards, it's it's on the lower end, but you know. And Monster, I dig. I I always liked Monster since it came out. I know it's sacrilegious to say that shit, but. I don't care. I like Monster. I don't care who knows. Last I looked, yeah. listening to music to make other people's opinion work. Indeed. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's all the questions we're going to have time. I guess it's time to throw the reins back to Mr. Camaro to host the show. <laughs> You know what that means? It's time for the show that we know from based on earlier conversation is way better than the dating game, way better than Jeopardy. It's time for Beat the Geek. 
I've got 11 questions lined up. Chris, Aiken, you you understand the rules? You checked this out before? Yep. Mm-hmm. All right, then we're ready to go. So as we always do on Beat the Geek, we start with the geek, and that is Chris. On a four-game winning streak. Oh, it's all high stakes today. I like this. <laughs> all right, here's your first question. In a 2007 interview with Artist Direct... Then Queens of the Stone Age drummer Joey Castillo stated that he owned two drum kits formerly owned by this drummer, which he considered prized possessions. Chris Aiken, do you think Chris Sinzak knows the answer to this question? Queens of the Stone Age? I'm going to say no. I'm going to guess that he does not follow what they do. All right, right off the bat, we're hitting it hard and heavy. Chris, you are being bet against. Queens of the Stone Age drummer Joey Castillo has two prized drum kits owned by this drummer. Is it Chuck Biscuits from Danzig, Bunny Carlos from Cheap Trick, Graham Lear of REO Speedwagon, or Nico McBrain from Iron Maiden? Um, I'll guess Nico McBrain. That is incorrect. The prized possessions owned by Joey Castillo were drum kits played by Chuck Biscuits from Danzig. So you were bet against, and you got it wrong. So Chris Aiken, without even getting a question, is already up by one point. All right. All right, Mr. Aiken, you're this is tough playing with two Chris's. <laughs> All confusing. All right, Chris Aiken, your question is this. Which of the following musicians are not buried in the Hollywood Forever Cemetery? Chris Sinzak, do you think he knows the answer to this? I'll say no. All right, Chris, bringing it right back at you, betting against you. We're going to figure out which of the following musicians are not buried in Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Three of them are. One is not. Your choices are Shannon Hoon of Blind Melon, Bianca Butthole of Betty Blowtorch, Scott Weiland of Stone Temple Pilots, and Chris Cornell of Soundgarden. Three of them are, one is not. Which one is it? Wow, this is a straight up guess. I'm going to go with Scott Weiland. That is incorrect. Scott Weiland, Chris Cornell, and Bianca Butthole all buried in the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Shannon Hoon went back home to Indiana. Okay. Chris bet against you. You got it wrong. We're doing it all backwards, but it's tied up (laughs) one-to-one. Addition by subtraction. Right. (laughs) All right, Chris Sinzak, your question for the Sizzler. Todd Rundgren, he's a Pretty well-known guy. Played with the Naz, Utopia, solo stuff, Meatloaf, all that. He's played for a lot of bands, but he's also produced a bunch of albums. He produced albums for all the following bands except. I'm going to give you four bands. He produced three of them. you got to figure out which one he did not. Chris Aiken, do you want to bet against him? Do you think he can figure it out? He's not going to get this. All right, Chris, you are being bet against. That's where all the points are coming from, so it could be important. Your choices are Cheap Trick, New York Dolls, Loverboy, Grand Funk Railroad. 
Todd Rundgren. Um, he don't want to work. He just wants to bang on the drums all day. Yeah, no. I feel like Loverboy is like a red herring. It doesn't seem like he'd produce them, but I bet you he did. I'm going to say Grand Funk Railroad. Oh, man, you should have went with Loverboy because Grand Funk Railroad is incorrect. Ah. He produced American Band and Shining On by Grand Funk. He produced the debut album and then the later on reunion album because I says so by the New York Dolls. He did Next Position, Please, by Cheap Trick, but he never did a Loverboy album. So you got that wrong. Chris Aiken bet against you. That's another point for him. <laughs> Nobody's got anything right so far, but Chris Aiken leads two to one. And it is his question. According to iTunes, this is Ted Nugent's most popular song. Chris Sinzak, do you think he knows the answer? Chris Aiken is a digital streaming like maven. He loves that shit. So I'll say that he knows this. All right, Mr. Aiken, you are not being bet against. And your choices right. are Cat Scratch Fever, Fred Bear, Stranglehold, and Wango Tango. Most popular was on iTunes. One? What was the first one? Cat Scratch Fever, Fred Bear, Stranglehold, Wango Tango. I'm going to go Cat Scratch Fever, and then I, I know I'm going to be wrong. It's going to be Wango Tango. I'm going to go Cat Scratch Fever. That is incorrect. But it's also not Wango Tango either. Cat Scratch Fever's number two. Wango Tango is 17. Fred Bear's number five. Most popular Ted Nugent on iTunes, Stranglehold. But since Chris really? Sinzak did not bet against you, no points awarded. Score remains Chris Aiken ahead, two to one. No questions answered correctly so far. <laughs> Looks like I'm going to be the winner here today. All right, Chris Sinzak, your chance to bring it back up. In a 1972 stage version of the Who's Tommy with the London Symphony Orchestra, Sandy Denny played the role of the nurse and sings the song It's a Boy. What else is she famous for? Chris Aiken, back to 1972. This is 60s, 70s stuff here. Do you think Chris Sinzak has any clue who Sandy Denny is? No. All right, Chris, you're being bet against. Your choices are... That's correct. (laughs) (laughs) Your choices are replacing Ruby Starr in Black Oak, Arkansas, her duet with Robert Plant on The Battle of Evermore, providing the child's voice on Alice Cooper's The Ballad of Dwight Fry, or singing background vocals on all four of the first Rolling Stones albums. Jesus Christ. Oh, that's a total guess. I'll go with the Alice Cooper one. That is incorrect. Sally, <laughs> Jesus. Sandy Denny is known for her duet with Robert Plant on the song Battle Livermore. That's, that's one I would have gotten. Yeah? Nice. <laughs> See, and if you know anything about this lady, she, there, this woman led a crazy life, and she died in a really weird way. So you guys want some interesting reading? Look up Sandy Denny one time. 
All right, Chris, you were bet against and you got it wrong. And so oh, that brings oh. the score up three to one with still no answers as answered correctly. <laughs> Chris Aiken in the lead. <laughs> and it's his question. In Greg Prado's book, Shredders, who does Billy Corrigan of the Smashing Pumpkins cite as the greatest guitar player of all time? Chris Sinzak, does Chris Aiken know who Billy Corgan thinks is the greatest guitar player of all time? I don't know, but he, I mean, any point, so I'll bet against him. All right, Chris Aiken, <laughs> you are being bet against. Billy Corgan, the Smashing Pumpkins, who's the greatest guitar player of all time? Is it Eddie Van Halen, George Lynch, Jeff Beck, or Ingve Melmstein? God. And I hate Smashing Pumpkins, so I've never word that he has ever said in an interview. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna take a chance here. I'm gonna say George Lynch. That is incorrect. <laughs> the correct answer is Ingve Malmsteen. And Chris bet against you, and you got it wrong. So Chris is creeping back in with no correct <laughs> answer so far in this entire game, and we're sitting at a score of three to two. Chris Aiken still holds the lead. It is now time for the kiss round. Double the points. Chris Sinzak, your kiss round question is first. Before beginning recording for his 1978 solo album, while driving in excess of 100 miles per hour in Marina del Rey, California, Peter Chris was involved in a car crash that sent him through the windshield and almost killed him. What kind of car was he driving? Chris Aiken, does Chris Sinzak, who we know, is a legendary KISS nerd? Does he know the answer to this question? I'm going to say he does. All right, Chris, you are not being bet against. Your choices are Porsche, Ferrari, Corvette, BMW. Shit, I don't know this one. Um... I'll say Porsche. That is correct. Oh, wow. It's the kiss round, so it's double points. You were not bet against, and so you have now taken the lead with a score of four to three. And somebody got something right. And and finally, finally (laughs) somebody guessed something right. All right, Chris Aiken, your turn in the kiss round. For the Creatures of the Night Tour... Kiss toyed with the idea of adding a cover song to the set. It never happened, but what band were they considering covering? Chris Sinzak, it's the Kiss round. Big points on the line. Do you want to bet against him, or do you think he knows the answer? I don't think he knows this. I'll bet against him. All right, Chris Aiken, you are being bet against. Kiss considered doing a cover song, which is pretty rare for Kiss. It never happened, but what band did they consider covering? Was it Led Zeppelin, the Moody Blues, the Who, or the Zombies? This is going to be a straight guess. Um, I'm going to go with the Zombies. That is incorrect. Kiss, Nerd Chris, do you know the answer? I'm going to say the Moody Blues. That would have been correct if it was your question. Double the points. That's two more for Chris Sinzak. Brings the score up 6-3. to three. 
The correct answer is the Moody Blues. Originally, way, way back in the very beginning of KISS, they would do an encore song and they would cover the Moody Blues tune, Go Now. And then later on, yep. when it got to be the 80s, they considered bringing that back into the set list, but did not. That's some deep <laughs> KISS knowledge I just dropped on y'all right there. There you go. <laughs> All oh, right. Cool. So we got two more questions left. This is still close enough that it could be brought around. So Chris Aiken, or wait, no, Chris Sinzak, it's your turn. Wait a minute, no, Chris goes last. He just wait, did I lose track? I I, I just guessed on the. Oh yeah, on so that, this one. Yeah, so this one goes to Chris Sinzak. What animal is featured on the cover of the 1991 Britney Fox album "Bite Down Hard"? Chris Aiken, do you think Chris Sinzak knows the answer to this one? Yes, because I know the answer to this one. All right, Chris, you're not being bet against. Could you really use them points, but he's playing it safe. Your choices are a panther, a hawk, a snake, or a fox. It's a snake, isn't it? That is correct. Pretty lady holding an apple, big black snake. Yep. You were not bet against, but you got it correct. That's one point for you. Now, just for fun, here we go. Last question for Chris Aiken. On the soundtrack to the 1997 film Howard Stern Private Parts, Ozzy Osbourne teamed up with Typo Negative to cover a song by this band. Chris Sinzak, do you think he knows the answer? I think he knows this one. All right, not being bet against in the final question, just for fun, was it status quo, Black Sabbath, Genesis, or Blackfoot? The Ozzy tune? Ozzy teams up with Typo Negative for the Howard Stern Private Parts soundtrack. Together they do a cover. Is it a cover of status quo, Black Sabbath, Genesis, or Blackfoot? Oh, God, I know the song. I don't know who sang it. Son of a bitch. Um, the, the song is um, is the Matchstick Men song, but I don't know who the original person was on it. Um, 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 God, I don't know. Status quo. That is correct. Yeah, you had the song, Pitch, Pictures of Matchstick Men. In the song, I couldn't know who sang it originally. Nice. <laughs> so you got it correct. You were not bet against. Final score today, Chris Sinzak lives on as he defeats Chris Aiken by the final score of, let's see, 7-4. to four. Nice. That was a good battle, though. You guys, man, that was a tough one. I guess I asked a lot of good questions. How many actually got answered right? One, two, three, four. Out of all 11 questions three, between the four. two of you, you got four of them right. <laughs> God. Who's the game show master? Skate. It's too hard. It's me. <laughs> it's it's obvious. It's me. <laughs> You're the Wink Martindale of rock and roll. You damn right. And then so. <laughs> Wink Metaldale. That should be my game show name. Well, this has been a lot of fun today. We got to hear some pretty damn cool stories and had a lot of fun with the game show. Chris Aiken, man, thanks for finally coming on the Decibel Geek podcast with us. Anytime, guys. Fun. Cool. And you have a you have a podcast going now. You want to promote real fast? Yeah, I have. I obviously have Classic Metal Show, which is theclassicmetalshow.com. 
And we recently, I started a podcast with um, Matt Hartnett, who is the co-host of the um, Shockwave Skull Sessions um, podcast with Bob Nelbandi. And um, our, our new podcast is called um, Aftershocks. Oh, Aftershockspodcast.com yeah. is the website. And basically, that one, it's 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 99% interview-based, but it's um, it's all types of metal with the exception of kind of classic metal. So... Stoner stuff, death metal stuff, hardcore, new metal, uh, modern metal, you know, everything that's not, you know, 80s based, I guess, is, is what we're doing. And we're having a lot of fun doing it. And it's um, we, we release every Monday and Thursday. So you get two new interviews a week. And it's, um, like I said, AfterShocksPodcast.com. But no interviews with Brett Michaels. No. <laughs> actually, That's too funny. <laughs> Right on. All, All right. right. Hey, All right. And, and you know what? Check out Chris Aiken's books because not only is this guy an awesome podcaster, he's an amazing author too. I've got the Motley Crue 94 book. I know a lot of people that listen to this show are big fans of that album. You want to get the breakdown of it? This is a really cool little book that you can check out. And uh, Chris Aiken put it together. It's really awesome. What other books I, have I you I love writing those cause and effect books. I've got, I've got six total books. Um one is about my divorce. It's, yeah, I have like three that are like real world and three that are kind of music world. I've got one about divorce, which is called Little Victories. I've got one about um, being burned in an industrial accident, which is called Call Me Chris. Oh, I've got my latest book, which is um, about my running around like a maniac in, in Korea when I was in the military, which is called And Other Things I Should Not Say. And then as far as the music books go, I've got I, I'm writing this series called Cause and Effect, which is um, I take a look at an album that changed that changed something about a band, whether it's changed the way the fan base liked them or the the you know, the world liked them or, or something, something dramatically changed with the album. And I've done three so far. I've done um, the Motley book that you just mentioned, which yeah. is about the 94 album. I did Judas Priest Turbo and I did. um Metallica, the Black Album. So, and I'm working on. I'm actually working on two more of those right now. One of them is Megadeth's Risk, and the other is Dokken's Shadow Life. Those albums, as much as people hate them, you know, as far as like the 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 main fans of a band usually hate those albums the most. Those are always the most interesting ones. Well, you the thing that I've found with doing them, and especially writing the Judas Priest one, which of the of the three music books I thought I did the best work on the Judas Priest book. I I've just found a lot of cool stories about the various songs and about, you know, what was going on with the band. So, you know, it is a lot of fun to kind of dig in, you know, a lot of times when people hate the record, what was going on that made the record gets lost. So, yeah. you know, these books are, these books are kind of fun and they're not all history. Cause you know, there's another, there's, guys a lot better than me at writing that that do that the martin pop-offs and joel mcgyvers or whatever the world but you know mine are kind of some history and some stuff that that most people could probably relate to that you know i tell you've got the motley book and i told quite a few stories about partying while while listening to certain songs in the motley yeah. book and i'm sure a lot of people could relate to that and say oh yeah i remember partying at this bar too when i was you know listening to that song or this song so Definitely. they're fun they're they're fun books. I I don't think they're higher learning by any means, but they're they're definitely fun to to read. And and then my other my real life books, the two of them are real serious. The 
the the newest one is definitely not serious. It's definitely you know debauchery. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, definitely check that out if you get a chance. Chris Aiken, thanks for coming on the show, brother. Thank you, boys. Very much fun. <laughs> It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.